I believe in the kingdom come, then all the colors will bleed into one, bleed into one. But yes, I'm still running. You broke the bonds and you loosened the chains. You carried the cross of my shame. Oh, my shame. You know I believe it. But you know the rest? Tim knows the rest. Tim can get his guitar probably and play. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. One of the most popular songs of all time. You know the rest. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Top rock songs of all time. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. The Irish rock band U2. It's St. Patrick's weekend. So I thought we should begin by quoting the Irish. (laughs) But these words from an 80s rock song give us the perfect lens for understanding this portion of the Lord's Prayer we're looking at today. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. We've said it in some form already three times or heard it read to us. And we'll sing it or hear it sung in just a moment. But that, that phrase is the center of the prayer, the hinge of the prayer. We pray it every Sunday, and yet it seems that we have a long way to go until we experience the answer to this prayer. It seems we still have not found what we're looking for. We still have not found what we're praying for. And we're spending Lent together, journeying through this prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray, breaking it apart so we better understand what it is that we are praying each week. Uh, Two weeks ago, last week we were on vacation. I hope you had a great time, this interlude from this worship series. But two weeks ago, we began this with the phrase, Our Father. And we looked at what the disciples had, what they asked Jesus, what prompted the Lord's Prayer. As Luke tells us in his gospel, they tell Jesus after seeing him pray, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus gives them this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. But it's not just an example of a good prayer, but an invitation into a journey, into the very heart of what it means to be Christian. The Lord's Prayer gives us the lens through which we can understand our whole faith. As the prayer began, we acknowledged who it was we were praying to, our Father. We said use whatever title you choose, but the point of the prayer is that it's centered in relationship, relationship with the God who had chose us before we could ever choose that God. And this Father is hallowed, he's holy, he's weird, he's different. This God we pray to is unlike anything here on earth, for it is our Father who art in heaven, not who is art in heaven, but who is in heaven. And heaven is different, it's otherworldly. Heaven is not like earth. But that's why the prayer then moves to this next step. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, earth is not like heaven. Our kingdoms are not like God's kingdom. And in order to make them so, work needs to be done. Now I should probably stop here and deal with that word kingdom. It's not a word we use a lot anymore. It's a patriarchal sexist word, isn't it? It's also a word that brings up images of violence and domination. Jesus' disciples would have heard that word kingdom and thought about the kingdom, the empire of Rome, and how they had invaded and occupied Galilee. Usually when kingdoms come, they invade with force. They impose their will on unwilling subjects. That's not necessarily the way God's kingdom comes, is it? God doesn't impose God's self upon us and upon our world in 
praying this prayer, we are asking for God's kingdom to come, inviting for God's will to be done, imploring for it. But God is not forcing it upon us. Maybe there are better words than kingdom, words with less baggage. Some have used the word reign, which has sort of the same connotation without a king. Some have used the word kingdom, like kin, like, like we're kin, we're family. We say kin down in the south. I don't know if we say it here in Iowa. But I think that term, those terms lack some of the power of that original word. Understanding that, yeah, there is baggage to the term. I still like that word kingdom. Because in some ways, God's movement on earth is like an invading kingdom. No, God doesn't deal in violence and the corrupt ways of the kingdoms of this world. But God is invading the world with goodness and love, taking over the dark places and shining that light of freedom we talked about during Epiphany. God is about changing our culture, changing our language into the culture and language of the kingdom of God. God is about creating a resistance in this world to the kingdoms of this world. In Matthew chapter 4, we're told the story of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. That story we always at some point read during Lent. And the final temptation, the tempter, the accuser, often called Satan or the devil, antagonizes Jesus by leading him up a high mountain. And on top of that mountain shows him in an instant all the kingdoms of this world. And I imagine in that moment, Jesus can see them all, not just the ones of his day, but from the beginning of human history until now, every kingdom that we have made. And the devil says to Jesus, all these kingdoms, from the beginning of time until now into the future, I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And Jesus says to the devil, away, away with you, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Jesus refuses to worship this devil, even if it meant complete power over all the kingdoms of this world. Jesus wasn't willing to deal with the, to, to use the ways of the world in order to save the world. Because Jesus wasn't interested in running all the kingdoms of the world. That was not why he came. But his mission was to usher in a new kingdom, a different kingdom, a resistance kingdom to all these kingdoms of the world, not to become a part of the kingdom of the world. Now, this does not mean Jesus doesn't get political. The word political means public. And Jesus' ministry was very public and deeply political. He challenged those kingdom powers, those political powers of his day. And in Jesus, they saw an ultimate threat, which is why they killed him. Jesus' ministry was very public, was political as he resisted the evils around him. And it called into question the way we organize in this world to benefit the powerful and the wealthy. And his ministry shows us another way, a new resistance, a different vision with the God, which the gospel writers call the kingdom of heaven. If you don't believe me, we'll keep praying the Lord's Prayer. All of a sudden, after our phrase this week, the prayer begins to get very public and very personal as well. Politics have become prayer or our prayer has become political public. We stop talking about heavenly things and start talking about earth things, real life things, about everyone having enough bread, about canceling debts and resisting evil, real life, which is why we need to be careful when we reach this part of the prayer. Thy kingdom 
come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We can't say this phrase, this prayer lightly. To ask for God's kingdom to come is to put in jeopardy all of our own kingdoms and all of our own allegiances. Because God's kingdom is not a political party or a president or an interest group or a corporation or an action committee. In fact, on many points, God's kingdom will be in direct opposition to all those things. But this prayer, well, we've got to be careful because it's also pretty personal as well. It challenges the powers of the world, but it challenges us too. To pray thy will be done is to put in jeopardy our own projects for self-fulfillment, our own wills for our lives and for our churches. This thing we call the Christian life isn't necessarily about self-fulfillment, getting everything we want out of life, our best life now. It's about God's will. We pray thy will be done. It's about transforming our life into the will of God. Have thine own way, we just say. There are things we need to give up when we pray this prayer. And there are things we need to let go of. And there are things that we need to begin doing if our life is to be in God's will. Now, the church tradition that I grew up in, we were taught that the Lord's Prayer was not really something we should be praying today. We could read it as a historical document, but we really shouldn't be praying it anymore because God's kingdom had already come. And it was the church. We were God's kingdom. So why would we pray for something that was already here? Now, it's weird. I know. It's a weird teaching. But in some ways, it's true. God's kingdom isn't something we're waiting for. It's something that's already here. We're a part of it. Anytime, anywhere God's will is being done, there is the kingdom of God. Anywhere someone gives their life over to God, they become a part of God's resistance in this world. And there is God's kingdom. When Jesus talks about the kingdom in the Gospels, he doesn't do it in deeply philosophical, theological ways. He tells stories, parables. The kingdom is life, he says. The kingdom is like a farmer. The kingdom is like a mustard seed. The kingdom is like a great banquet. The kingdom is like a wedding feast. The kingdom is like a landowner. The kingdom is like a man who finds a coin or a shepherd who finds a sheep or a father who finds a son. Ordinary things, yet these are like the kingdom of God. And so it is in our world today. Ordinary things give us glimpses of the kingdom of God. Images, windows, doors in which we can enter God's kingdom. When you volunteer to do meals on wheels, that is the kingdom of God. When our church comes together through a week of compassion and helps those who've experienced tragedy, that is the kingdom of God. When we stand beside one another, when we are suffering, when we visit each other's sickbed, when we support one another in need, that is the kingdom of God. When we care for the least of these, when we offer help to refugees, to those struggling and needing help, that is the kingdom of God. When we come together and rejoice with one another and celebrate new births and new marriages and wedding anniversaries, that is the kingdom of God. Look all around us and we see good in the world. God's kingdom is here. And yet it's not, at least not fully. It's already here and yet it's still this not yet. It's still coming. We still need to pray for it to come because there's so much in our world that has yet to experience God's reign. So much injustice, so many kingdoms of this world that still need to fall. This is the nature of this kingdom. It's always coming and not quite here yet. 
And we have seen kingdom come. As Bono's saying, we've seen the colors begin to bleed into one. We've seen bonds be broken and chains be loosened. But we haven't found what we're looking for. We still haven't realized what we pray for when we pray as Jesus taught us to pray. And our prayer for kingdom come, well, it starts right here in our hearts, in our own lives together. Where in our lives does the kingdom need to come more fully? Where in our church are we transacting in the culture and language of the kingdom of this world? What transformation do you need to experience? What transformation do we need to experience? And where in our community around us does the kingdom need to come? Where does that public witness of this prayer need to be realized? As we begin to answer these questions, we begin to experience the very answer to the prayer that our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Amen.